Wrestling fans, Beyond the Bell has a brand new sponsor. The official merchandise center for BTB and ringannouncing.com is Barbershop Window. Most of you may already know, but for those that don't, what is Barbershop Window? They love wrestling and they love t-shirts. So they combine the two to fulfill their goal. To create shirts that wrestling fans enjoy and would want to own and wouldn't be embarrassed to wear to a bar. New shirts are released every week and all past shirts can be found in the overstock bin. So go to barbershopwindow.com where they make wearing wrestling shirts cool again. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go Beyond the Bell. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell via the powerful SNS Radio Network. I'm your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, bringing you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Let's kick it off once again, part two of the best, the greatest moments of Monday Night Raw history. Part one went back in time to relive 93 to 99 of the history of Monday Night Raw. Now, let's look back at the year 2000 to the present day era in Monday Night Raw history. Buckle up, fans. It's go time. The year 2000 was upon us, and so was the McMahon-Helmsley era, as we left off with the wedding of Test and Stephanie that Triple H invaded. Wasn't just the first invasion that he that he was participating in on Monday Night Raw, 
Nevertheless, the McMahon-Helmsley era was in full effect, full steam ahead, and on April 17th of the year 2000, we saw that power and the impact they played in the WWF. On the night, we saw Y2J Chris Jericho win the WWE title, only to have Triple H have the referee Earl Hebner rescind the declaration, rescind the decision, and declare Triple H still WWE champion. It will mark one of the most memorable moments because the fans went crazy for the Jericho win. They finally thought they saw Jericho win the big one, win the WWF championship, only to have the dusty finish pulled out from under them and represent the title to Triple H, voiding any record book showing of Jericho winning the title that night. Jericho would not win the championship until approximately two years later. So when we look back at it, quite possibly they may have missed the boat with Jericho when they should have taken advantage of the popularity of Jericho at the time, but the office was not behind Jericho at that point. They still weren't sold by his in-ring work. But you cannot deny this moment was one of the most memorable in Raw history. March 26, 2001. Raw beats Nitro for good. If you tuned in to WCW Monday Nitro on this night, you saw Shane McMahon standing in the center of a WCW ring. Yes, you heard me right, fans. On Raw, Mr. McMahon stood glowing in front of a Cleveland crowd, bragging about his much-publicized purchase of WCW. But when the chairman signaled for the TV's feed to switch to Nitro, he was met with a familiar face. Son Shane McMahon, who was revealed as the owner of WCW. The name on the contract to purchase WCW was in fact McMahon, but it, the first name was not Vince, it was Shane O'Mac. On this night, while not directly a victory for Mr. McMahon on TV, this night was a victory for World Wrestling Entertainment. One of the most monumental moments in the history, not just of Raw, but professional wrestling. A simulcast between Raw and Nitro. Shane McMahon is on Nitro! What in the hell is he doing? Shane McMahon showing up on Nitro was more shocking to me than Eric Bischoff showing up on Raw. What's up, Vince? That was a big surprise when Shane showed up on Nitro. No doubt about that. Your ego has gotten the best of you. Seeing Shane with that Nitro logo might have been the strangest thing that I never thought I'd see in our industry. The deal is finalized, and the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. July 9th of 2001, such transitional year in professional wrestling was 2001, Paul Heyman announces the rebirth of ECW. Sure, this may have kicked off the ill-fated invasion angle, but who didn't mark out for this moment? Who can deny that? Chris Jericho and Kane were in a match against Lance Storm and Mike Awesome when out of nowhere, RVD and Tommy Dreamer came out of the crowd and started to attack the WWE guys. 
This brought up members from the WWE locker room, including Taz, Rhino, the Dudleys. It seemed as though the cavalry had arrived. But those guys turned on Jericho and Kane and started to help RVD and Dreamer beat them down. Heyman then told JR to feel this moment when he got up from the announced position and stated that these men were to become extreme for this WWE-WCW war and that ECW had risen again. This was just a truly unpredictable segment that instantly turned a rather mundane storyline into something interesting. It put a much-needed spark in the invasion angle. Everybody has forgotten the tribe 
of extreme. It seems to me like these men were too extreme for WWF versus WCW. It seems to me that this man and this man have left Shane McMahon's WCW. It looks to me like these six men have left Vince McMahon's WWF. It looks to me like they all have joined ECW. So Vince or Shane, anytime you guys want revenge, we'll take on the WWF, we'll take on WCW. We're not hard to find because this invasion just got taken to the extreme. My God, I thought DCW was not even in business anymore. What the hell does Heyman come up with? The former owner of ECW. Six WWF superstars have defected the ECW. Two WWF superstars have defected the ECW. My God, somebody tell me what this means. It's sports entertainment. I'll never forget it was in Sacramento, California. It was in August of 2001, and I just remember seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin's face when I came out. He didn't know whether to cry or laugh. It's a damn milk truck! Kurt Angle is driving a milk truck right up to the ring! When he came out, and in front of the crowd, and just the electricity that was out there, and he came out, it was just a cool sight to see. I kind of forgot that I was in the ring. I was just watching it as a fan. And, wow, this is really cool. I would have to say that it was one of the biggest reactions I've ever seen the crowd get into. It was every bit as big as when Stone Cold Steve Austin ran that beer truck in and sprayed down Vince McMahon. It was that same reaction, but it was so much funnier because it was a milk truck. And, and obviously my character, I drink milk. I ain't gonna milk cartons at the Alliance! It was just, like I said, he was just beaming us with those milk cartons, just as hard as he could throw them. I don't think they knew what to expect from there, but when I pulled that hose out and I started spraying down Stone Cold Steve Austin and Stephanie McMahon and, and everybody else, I got even a louder eruption from the crowd. I don't know a lot about milk trucks, but maybe, I don't know if they actually come with a fire hose filled with milk. Oh my God! It's milk! It's milk! Milkomania is running wild! It's milk man madness, my God! It's just funny to see everybody spilling, falling, getting back up and falling again, and uh, especially Stephanie. The milk truck scene with Kurt Angle was probably one of the most fun things I've ever done. The Million Dollar Princess has become a Dairy Queen! She was really reacting great. She'd fall down, get back up, I'd spray her in the face again, she'd fall down again. Kurt coming out with the milk truck of all things and spraying us all down and seeing who got out of the way and got put back in the way and, you know, all, all the scrambling around it was great i was pretty much right in the front line i was uh just to the left of stephanie a couple of the little pretty boys on the back trying to hide they want to get the milk in their hair i guess people said i was cowering in the corner but i think i pulled someone in front of me and kind of used them as a shield to protect myself 
Didn't work out too well, though. I was zoning in on Steve, but when I saw Stephanie flying all over the place, I started spraying her even more. I've been sprayed by a number of things in the ring. Um, so the milk was probably lesser of a lot of evils, except it just smelled real bad. We weren't using real milk. Uh, that would have been something else. We used food coloring, white water, and it worked out tremendously. Obviously, the milk I drank was real, but uh, the hose, the, it was a water. It was a hookup to the back, and uh, they had some kind of filler that brought the, the white powder in on it, and it looked like milk, and it worked out really good. I was with, I was right next to Tommy Dreamer. And he really will eat anything. Well, there's cookies in the ring, and people were stepping on them, and, you know, the mat was dirty, and there was milk all over the place, and they were all soggy. And I've seen Tommy Dreamer and his nasty self pick up one of the cookies and eat it. It was stuck to his shoe, and he proceeded to uh, peel it off the sole of his shoe and eat it. And I found that uh, kind of amusing, you know? I don't know how bad the arena smelled. Uh, you know, there wasn't much milk, real milk, thrown around the arena, but I know how bad I smelled. I didn't have my wrestling boots on, so I had the shoes that I was wearing that day, and I had to fly home that night. Uh, and I had the same shoes on, and, man, they stunk the whole plane up. Uh, within hours, it smelled like sour milk in the plane, and I was so embarrassed. I, I didn't want anybody else to know. I, I kind of took my shoes off and put them underneath the, uh, the seat in front of me. Uh, God bless the guy that was standing in front of me, or sitting in front of me, but um, uh, I I just kind of sat back and I just started laughing, thinking, okay, everybody thinks I, I smell like sour milk or somebody does around here, but I didn't want anybody to know it was my shoes. And now he's pulling out the heavy stuff. It's homogenized. Kurt Angle is the illicit dairy man. Milkomania has run wild. It was a special moment. I hope someday I can get that reaction again. I don't know if I will, but at least I had it once. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, returns to the WWE on November 19th, 2001. This was the night after the WWE had defeated the Alliance for complete control of the WWE. This gave Vince 100% control, and he planned to use his power to take the title away from the Alliance's Stone Cold Steve Austin and give it to Kurt Angle. Before he could do that, though, some familiar music hit, and out came The Nature Boy in All His Glory. That was the first time Flair was on WWE television in eight years, and the fan response was deafening, which should have been expected since they were in the nature's hometown of Greensboro. We hadn't seen Ric Flair since 1993, the inaugural year of Monday Night Raw, where he lost a Loser Leaves Town match, a career-ending match between himself and Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect. Great match between the two. I was there to watch the end of Flair's WWF career. I thought that was the end of the Nature Boy, but he's back eight years later on Monday Night Raw. Flair then came to the ring to reveal that Stephanie and Shane had sold their rights to the company to the Nature Boy, so now he was a 50-50 partner with Vince McMahon. This was a great way to bring Flair back, and a very memorable segment indeed. When we unveil a superstar, I think the anticipation is huge. We always try to make that first night seem as big as possible. Allow me to... Wait a second. To me, it was the rebirth of the Nature Boy. It can't be what I think it could be. The people did have a religious experience. But it is! What's there's the Nature Boy! In 2002, we saw the invasion of the NWO, the New World Order, was on Monday Night Raw. Hollywood Hogan and his New World Order buddies Scott Hall and Kevin Nash 
entered the WWF at the No Way Out pay-per-view on February 17th of 2002. The next night, on Monday Night Raw, Hulk Hogan and The Rock shared the same ring in a magical moment. Both men talked smack at each other for a while and decided to fight each other at WrestleMania. The match was on. After shaking The Rock's hand, Hogan and his NWO buddies beat up The Rock. When the ambulance came to take The Rock to the hospital, the NWO commandeered the ambulance and trapped The Rock inside. They then ran the ambulance over with the front of an 18-wheeler truck. Take that last part out of it. The image of seeing Hulk Hogan and The Rock face-to-face, looking at each other, then looking at the other end of, of the crowd, and they switch glance at each other, then look at the other side of the crowd. That image, tremendous. One of the most monumental images in the history of Raw. I know I've been saying that a lot over the past two episodes, but the image of those two looking at each other, just the possibility of the dream match between The Rock and Hogan was right before our eyes. There'll never, ever be a bigger star in the wrestling business than Hollywood Hulk Hogan. From one memorable moment to another, from Hogan and Rock staring at each other eye to eye, to the return of Ric Flair, to another unprecedented moment that no one had ever imagined would take place. Mr. McMahon and Eric Bischoff hug on Monday Night Raw on July 15th of 2002. I was there. It was in New Jersey. I could not believe it. There are some feelings you get when you arrive in an arena. I've been over to over 450, 500 wrestling events. I have to actually do an exact count to see. I'll let you know, fans. Give me a couple of weeks. I'll get the exact number. But I've been to so many events that you know, you get a feel sometimes when you arrive in the arena if this is going to be an electric night or just another run-of-the-mill show. When I got to the arena that night, the Continental Airlines Arena at the time, before the IZOD Center, I sat down in my chair, you know, right before I think they were filming for Sunday Night Heat, and you got a sense that something was a buzz. You were feeling something was about to change. Professional wrestling, as we knew it, was going to change. It was something. I couldn't, I can't describe it. You just felt the electricity. Uh, looking back at it, you know, you, of course you could see why, but I knew something was going to happen that night. And in one of the most shocking raw moments of all time, Mr. McMahon appeared on stage, hand in hand, with the devil himself, Eric Bischoff. In this completely surreal moment, the chairman announced that the former president of WCW would be the new general manager and face of Monday Night Raw. As they were splitting, 
of course, like we said, the GM of Raw, GM of SmackDown. As Vince McMahon and Ric Flair battle for control over the WWF, and once they split between controlling shows, Flair controlling Raw, Vince controlling SmackDown, then with Flair, then with Flair losing to McMahon a few weeks later, and thus controlling the WWF once again, they decided to keep the segregation and have a GM of Raw, a GM of SmackDown. So, this Raw GM was needed. And in front of a perplexed crowd and the superstar locker room, I was shocked. Bischoff entered the ring to cut his first WWE promo. In spite of being Vince's former rival, Bischoff commended Mr. McMahon on beating WCW, and the duo ended the freak show with an uncomfortable embrace. They would hug and stop and hug again. A shocking moment in the history of Monday Night Raw. Allow me to introduce you to the new general manager of Raw. His name is Eric Bischoff. For those of you who may not know me, oh. my name is Eric Bischoff. And I used to run WCW. Not that watered-down version, by the way, that invaded this company, but the real deal. You see, when I ran WCW, I became famous. That's right. I was the only person ever able to take it right to Vince McMahon. That would be me. I remember those battles, and that's true. In fact, when Vince was out here a couple of weeks ago talking about ruthless aggression, just who the hell do you think he was talking about? He's ruthless, folks. Very ruthless. That, of course, would be me. I personified ruthless aggression. You got that right. When Vince McMahon needed star power, I was ruthless. Hell, I signed everybody he had. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Roddy Piper. It went on and on and on. Hell, I was like a kid in a candy store. I signed Bobby the Brain. He needed a mean Gene Oakland. Just for the hell of it. Just because I could. Just for the hell of it. The people's lives involved here. But what I really did is I took this little family business, this McMahon monopoly, and I gave it one big swift kick in the crotch. Oh. And it was sweet. In fact, while Vince McMahon was on trial with the federal government, uh -oh. he took his eye off the ball. And I raided his company dry. And for all of you people who say the only reason I was successful is because I had Ted Turner's money, I've got news for each and every one of you. I was successful because I was innovative. In fact, 
I was cutting edge. Remember, remember back when Raw was taped every other week and Nitro was live? And I decided to go on the air two minutes before Raw, and I gave away everything that happened on Raw so you people didn't have to watch it. Ooh. Damn. Well, that was innovative, I suppose. That was ruthless. That was a little aggressive, but it worked. And how about Alundra Blaze? You remember her? This is woman's world champion. I signed her away, and I said, hey, Alundra, Bring your belt to Nitro. She didn't really want to, but I made her because she worked for me. And I had her go out on national television and throw it in the trash. <laughs> that's, that's innovative. That would kill me. It was a little ruthless. It was a little aggressive, but it worked. But you know what the important thing was? Is I forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did television. I did. Because in Nitro, I gave away a competitive main event every week with big stars. Hell, WCW Nitro changed the face of sports entertainment forever. And I single-handedly forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did business so he could keep up with me. That was beautiful. Hey, remember when I created the NWO? Cutting edge, ruthless, aggressive. Not some stale retread. Jerry, this is surreal. It's a legend in his own mouth. Nitro beat Raw. 84 weeks in a row. 84 weeks in a row. And I came this close. Can you see it? This close to putting this company out of business forever. And he's proud of it. Single-handed. Why would Vince So naturally, I was a little surprised when my phone rang. Not on the other end was none other than Vince McMahon. And he said, hey, Eric, what do you think about becoming the general manager of Raw? Well, I got to tell you, I was surprised. I was damn surprised. But then the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. Because you see, if there's one person, one person who can take this struggling franchise and turn it into a national media powerhouse, well, that would be me. You could be right, JR. And it's going to start right here on Raw. And we're going to kick it off this Sunday at Vengeance. Because there was one thing that I really wanted to do when I was running WCW. Never got the job done. One piece of talent that I could never sign away. Just one. And I'm absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced, that if I would have been able to sign him, that right now, today, Nitro would be on the air. And Vince McMahon, my new best friend, with all due respect, would be working for me. But that's okay. Because it's not going to be the NWO that signs Triple H. Uh-uh. 
That would be me. What? And for all of the rest of you in the back, some of you I've had a chance to work with, some of you I'm meeting for the very first time, one thing I'm sure you'll all agree on is that people generally like working for me. It's really not about the money, truly, it's not. People are drawn to winners. You people are drawn to winners. Mr. McMahon was drawn to a winner, which is why he hired me. Let's face it, the WWE needs me. You people deserve me. And there's one thing I want to promise each and every one of you people. I am here to put the E in WWE. On February 21st of 2005, the animal turns the tables. For two straight years, Batista was known strictly as Evolution's clenched tooth muscle bound enforcer. That all changed when, after winning the Royal Rumble, Batista caught wind of an imminent betrayal at the hands of Triple H and Ric Flair. At the contract signing that would determine whether he would jump to SmackDown or stay on Raw, the animal scooped Triple H up and deposited him unceremoniously through a table, striking out on his own and becoming world heavyweight champion at WrestleMania 21. Stepping out from under the shadow of evolution, Batista went from uh, a hired thug, a hired gun, to a gold-carrying superstar. What made this storyline and this moment so special for Raw was the build-up for this. The tension you started to see between Triple H and Batista, the tension between Evolution and Ric Flair being involved, all culminating with Triple H trying to convince Batista to go over to SmackDown so they both could become champions of each brand. And you saw a new star being developed in Batista. Done so well, it was a slow build, and it was a great moment on Raw. You see, Dave, we have an opportunity to do the greatest thing that has ever been done in this industry. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the world. You and I, to walk that aisle with the nature boy, Ric Flair, side by side, owning this business doesn't seem like a difficult decision to me at all, Dave. It really doesn't. And I've got a feeling you know what you want to do, big man, don't you? You know what you want to do. Hunter? I've known what I was going to do for a long time. Oh, 
Hunter, I'm staying right here on Raw. And at WrestleMania, I'm taking the World Championship. From you. Well, the deal is done. The untamed spirit of the animal known as Batista has made his decision. Batista will stay on Raw. And Batista will go to WrestleMania 21. And if the deal is set and granted, Batista will come for the world's title against the game. And it's going to happen at WrestleMania 21. On June 6th of 2005, John Cena was drafted to Monday Night Raw. John Cena was quickly becoming one of the most popular superstars in the entire WWE when he won his first WWE title from JBL at WrestleMania 21. His popularity continued to grow from that point on until he was clearly the number one face in the company. The only problem was that the champ was on the B-Show, SmackDown, so he wasn't getting as much exposure as his counterparts on Raw. That all changed when he became the first pick in the 2005 WWE Draft. To the shock and surprise of everybody, you know, they really, no one really expected the champ to be the first pick, and the crowd pop was insane once they heard Cena's music. He immediately got tangled up into a feud with Chris Jericho and Christian, and once Batista left for SmackDown, he was immediately the top dog on Raw. Eventually, a lot of cheers would turn into boos, and Cena would become probably the most controversial champ in history, as some fans adore him, with others despising him. But Cena's meteoric rise to becoming the face of the WWE all started with his move to Monday Night Raw. Would you please welcome my guest tonight, the very first pick of the draft lottery. Come on down! Who is it? Who is it? Is it a he or a she? Come on out! Well, whoever it is, they're late. Is there really somebody? Officially raw. So I do it how they do it in St. Louis, baby. The champ is her. He's her. On July 11, 2005, the Hardy invasion takes place. 
The love triangle between Edge, Lita, and Matt Hardy was so tawdry and so over the top that it could have come right out of a Telemundo soap opera or a graphic love novel. This bubbling stew of betrayals, women, and broken dreams finally boiled over at the Continental Airlines Arena, which, of course, I was present for at the same time. This is where, during a grudge match between Kane and Edge, a maniacal Matt Hardy stormed the ring and made his first appearance since being fired months prior. Sweaty, wild-eyed, and screaming, the sight of Hardy looking like an escaped mental patient had all of us reaching for our pepper spray. Now, the Raw wasn't too exciting, I think, at the time, if I remember back, but I remember this moment creating a buzz and the fans chanting loudly for Hardy, Hardy. Another moment that, maybe because I was there, was monumental for Raw. And what made this segment even better is that what felt real because the storyline was based on real life, and it seemed as, as if Edge and Matt were taking very stiff shots at each other. On June 19th of 2006, for years, one question on every fan's mind was, will DX ever reunite? Their answer came this night in Rochester, New York, when the Titantron lit up with the chaotic images that comprised of DX's signature entrance video, and a neon green light illuminated the entrance ramp, clad in signature black tees and jeans, and strutted out to a flurry of pyro, Triple H and Shawn Michaels took to the ring and celebrated the long-overdue return of sports entertainment's most celebrated bad boys. The sophomore crew was back. And even if you tried to stop them, DX was back and in full force. 
this was one of the greatest moments in Raw history because of the fact that DX was returning, not the composition of X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws, but the original Triple H and Shawn Michaels. The image of the two of them back together inside the squared circle was definitely a memorable moment in Monday Night Raw history. Throughout the years of Monday Night Raw history, we saw so many moments that will be entrenched in our minds. And of course, no one can forget the multiple moments of the Mr. McMahon character. Mr. McMahon is famous, especially on Monday Night Raw, for his infamous write-offs. The Mr. McMahon character is definitely a dynamic one, to the point where he cannot just leave television in an easier, common fashion. He must make a mark when leaving the storyline scene. So I just wanted to break down the multiple instances of Mr. McMahon and his infamous TV write-offs. Who can forget 2007 when Vince McMahon was killed in a limo explosion? It was June 11, 2007, and WWE tried a storyline with Mr. McMahon getting into his limo, only for it to explode. McMahon was presumed dead, and the storyline was followed out so perfectly that WWE's corporate office had to issue an official statement denying McMahon's actual death. Two weeks later, a three-hour Raw planned to be a memorial for McMahon ended ended up being the actual Chris Benoit tribute show after the shocking passing the previous weekend. McMahon actually stood in the ring of an empty arena and broke kayfabe, showing the line from storyline and reality. This would all lead to them basically dropping the limo explosion angle and the death of McMahon, and which would lead to McMahon embracing the break in kayfabe fashion and turning his way off television into a selfish cry for help by his character. It turned out to be that McMahon supposedly staged his own death to see what people would say about him if he had a funeral. The self-conscious, egotistical McMahon killing himself to see what others would say about him. It made sense for the situation they were under, but they definitely, I think, had big plans for the whodunit of killing Mr. McMahon. Because of this change in storyline, McMahon actually had a new storyline put on television with his illegitimate son being revealed. It wasn't a solid storyline, but for having just a few weeks to scramble for something, it did the trick. It still had the impact of a major league angle involving McMahon. It was going to put Mr. Kennedy on a new level as a member of the McMahon family. Internet rumors leaked the result, and the answer was changed to Hornswoggle, unfortunately. Apparently our new anonymous general manager. It wasn't until June 2008 that WWE would try it again. This was when Mr. McMahon would give away $1 million across the episode of Monday Night Raw. After a weeks, after a few weeks of this, weeks and weeks of giving away McMahon money, WWE money, the stage collapsed on Vince. 
injury McMahon in a pile of rubble. Surely this would be the way to end the need for the boss. We were wrong, though, as McMahon would come back in January of 2009 as a part of the Chris Jericho storyline with Stephanie McMahon, as well as getting involved with Randy Orton and the WWE Championship at that year's WrestleMania. The following June, you see a pattern here, folks, McMahon would announce the sale of Monday Night Raw to Donald Trump a man who won a bet with Mr. McMahon at a WrestleMania, forcing Vince to have his head shaved bald. Mr. McMahon would eventually buy the show back from Trump, which prompted McMahon to have weekly Raw guest hosts, as we all remember that era of Monday Night Raw, which we love so much. Summerfest, ladies and gentlemen. Barbershopwindow.com to get your official Summerfest t-shirt. Plug, plug, plug. McMahon would appear randomly until Bret Hart was a guest host on January 4th of 2010. After harming Hart, McMahon would have a match at WrestleMania against the Hitman in a losing effort. Hart would become the general manager of Raw for a brief time, but then dealt with the debuting of the Nexus, which leads us to one of the most dramatic endings to Monday Night Raw. One of the most dramatic and chaotic endings in the history of Raw. Quite frankly, one of the greatest cliffhangers Raw has ever seen. And that is a bold statement. We saw many great cliffhangers. Austin and Kane battling on top of the Hell in the Cell. Many other cliffhangers on Raw history. The choppy choppy you pee pee. Maybe not with Val Venus, but many other endings to Raw, which left us hanging, that's what made Raw so special, especially during the Attitude Era, where you they were trying to get you to tune in the following week to see what would happen, what would the follow-up be from that show-ending angle. But none, you could say, were as surprising as this ending on June 1st of 2010. The first season of NXT had just wrapped up, and the winner was Wade Barrett. After winning, many wondered exactly what the prize for the rookie would be, as well as what would happen to the other NXT rookies who lost. It was revealed that the rookie who won would receive a WWE contract, as well as a championship match at a pay-per-view of his choosing, while the losers were out of a job, you'd say. Maybe they go back to FCW? Who knows? This news came as a surprise to fans of the NXT rookies, so when Barrett and the rookies essentially attacked the June 1st edition of Monday Night Raw, it was both unexpected and left a lot of fans scratching their heads. The rookies, who had seemed so innocent and inexperienced, were all of a sudden wreaking havoc on the WWE. They seemed dark and ominous, almost methodical in their attack, where most takeovers usually... And when the invaders take out the main event wrestlers, this one continued into a destruction of everyone and everything. They demolished the ring, the ringside area, the announcers, the timekeeper, even the various production members who happened to be at ringside. They even took down the ropes and masks. They destroyed everything. I remember watching this on TV, and I thought it was another hum-ho, ho-hum, is that how you say it? Another regular edition of Monday Night Raw. And I was on the computer 
doing some research, what have you, maybe editing my videos of, of ring announcing. I think that's what I was doing. Anyway, all of a sudden, I just see chaos happen on TV, and, and it left me with my jaw dropped. I could not believe it. It made me feel as if this was the next NWO moment. This moment was, it was especially violent. And you could say it's mainly due to the actions of Daniel Bryan, which I think made the moment as well because it was so real. This is when Daniel Bryan got his hands on Justin Roberts. Maybe I, maybe this is personal, maybe that's why I love that so much. No, no offense on, on Mr. Roberts. The camera caught Bryan strangling Roberts with his own tie. The action was perceived as too violent for the WWE PG landscape. Bryan even capitalized on the release by working the independent circuit, because eventually WWE had to let him go as a result of this. But, nevertheless, Bryan did come back, but this seemed so real, so effective, that people thought this was a truly violent act. As weeks went on, of course, the Nexus wreaked havoc on the WWE through random run-ins and backstage attacks on the whole WWE roster... They even attacked CM Punk, you know, John Cena they demolished. But, of course, nothing was as dramatic as the Nexus attacking Mr. McMahon. This wraps up, this wraps around what we were just discussing, the write-offs of Mr. McMahon. To the point where the Nexus beat him so bad he was, quote-unquote, in a coma. Which was shocking in itself. On June 22nd is when we saw the Nexus destroy Mr. McMahon. And he was out for an indefinite period of time. Until we saw that dream, that quote-unquote dream angle to where he woke up from his coma during the end of Linda's campaign. Of course, we saw McMahon sporadically come back and forth in the WWE. Of course, we saw him make his way back to the TV screen in response to the famous CM Punk shoot promo. Which kind of led to another write-off of the Mr. McMahon character to where Triple H came out to relieve Mr. McMahon of his duties as CEO of WWE, in turn making Triple H his successor and the brand new COO. But we still see Mr. McMahon back on TV, but they don't really describe his role. He's just the boss. I guess you could say you can never take Mr. McMahon out of Monday Night Raw. For almost 20 years... Monday Night Raw has been the staple on broadcast television. 1,000 episodes and counting for the, one of the greatest professional wrestling shows of all time. Regardless of the quality at times, no one can deny the success that the WWE, the WWF, and Monday Night Raw has had. So as we wrap things up, I want to look back at some of the most emotional moments in Monday Night Raw history. We saw many farewell speeches, many retirements on Raw, some which would result in them coming back, some to where we never see them again, some that we're still waiting to return. But here are a few moments that will be embedded in our minds as one of the most emotional moments in Raw history. Who can forget Raw is Owen? I know a lot of you must have been wondering from the last episode of Beyond the Bell where we discussed the greatest moments from 93 to 99, we missed a certain show that was one of the most memorable. 
that was because I saved it for the end of this series to discuss the importance of this episode. Raw is Owen. In 1999, we saw the night prior to this show where Owen Hart passed away in a WWE stunt that went wrong. After all this time, it's still a Raw that fans and spectators remember because it was a first. The WWE had never stopped their ongoing storylines for a wrestler. Never. The show would become the highest viewed Raw in history with a 7.2 rating. To witness these enormous wrestlers who are made to look unstoppable, weep and cry openly, show the important, the actual importance of this Raw. It wasn't about storylines on this night. It was a chance for the WWE to pay their respect to Owen and his family for all he gave to the professional wrestling business. This one's for you! Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, it'll be a knockdown to drag out tag team matchup, but still to come, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the former champion. In this business, I guess you got a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. <laughs> And Owen, he was one of those friends. And, and there's a lot of funny stories, his personality, the things he used to do. And I've told my wife a bunch of times over the last couple of months that I've been with Owen on the road. I see Owen more than I see her, my little girl. And he said the same thing. And now that he's not here, it's, it's, you look at it almost selfishly that I don't have my buddy and my friend with me anymore. I don't know, Owen's in a better place laughing and cutting up. But when you really think about Owen's life, I think about integrity because in this business it's cold, it's callous, it's selfish, it's self-serving, it's unrealistic, it's a fantasy world. But Owen was real. He was a man's man. His wife and kids. <laughs> Three of the luckiest people in the world. Because he loved them more than anything in the world. And that's why he did what he did to provide for them. And he did it with integrity. And integrity in this business is few and far between. That's not a good thing to know, but it's the truth. And outside all the laughs, because on the road, without the laughs, you know, the fans get to see Owen 10, 15 minutes a week. 
But when you see him 24 hours a day for 10 and 12 days at a time, uh, he's one of the guys that made it fun, made coming to work entertaining off the camera, and that's just as important as on the camera. Owen? make the promise to you because you got two little kids and I've got a little one of my own as they grow older the only thing that they might have to find out what their dad was like is wrestling films but I've made a promise to myself as the years go by I'm going to do my best to let their, to let Oge and Athena really know what a great man you, you were on. That's it. I can't. I don't know. Owen Hart, uh, where do I start? Uh, Owen was uh, the leader of a little merry band of Canadians we call the Canadian Mafia. And, uh, to me, Owen um, was was a, a type of guru to me. He uh, helped me on the road when it came to uh, traveling or or a match. But uh, the thing I remember most about Owen Hart is uh, his ability to make me and uh, anyone else laugh. And when I think of Owen, um, I smile. Today it's a little bit tough, um, but I, I think of some of the things Owen did and. I had the pleasure to uh, wrestle Owen in his last match in Chicago, along with Christian, against uh, him and Jeff Jarrett. And uh, I knew Owen was in a, a good mood that night because he came out with his blue and white boots and his uh, black and silver and red outfit. His hair was all messed up. He had a goofy look on his face and he was wearing his Time for a Change t-shirt. And uh, he got on the corner and he started hitting poses and uh, flexing. And uh, we got into the match, and um, I had him in an armbar. He kipped up, and uh, he wound up, and he gave me a big judo chop with a hi-ya, and chopped me down. And uh, we had a good time that night. Um, and that was Owen's last match. Uh, and it's nice to be able to, you know, look back on things like that. Um, you know, he, he just, he made us all laugh. And he's going to be sorely missed. Um, I grew up watching Owen. And I, I uh, got the opportunity to uh, wrestle on pay-per-views, on TV, and all across the world. Um, Germany, Raw, you name it. I wrestled Owen. And I traveled with Owen. And uh, to his family, Godspeed. Um, we're going to miss you. We saw Brian Pillman's widow speak about her husband's death. Brian Pillman had died only days prior, and there wasn't a reason as to how this could happen. It's not often that a wrestler dies when under contract to WWE, to WWE especially 
during that time of the late 90s. Now we see more deaths become more prevalent, I hate to say it, but at the time it wasn't as prominent. But Pillman was the first major name that would pass away under contract. WWE owner Vince McMahon conducted an interview with Pillman's wife, turned widow, to address the death via satellite. The interview did show a widow still in grieving and left many wondering if it needed to be aired on TV. In the end, the interview is one of the saddest moments to ever occur on Monday Night Raw. Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in suburban Cincinnati, uh, the wife of Brian Pillman, Melanie Pillman. Melanie, thank you so much. I'm sure you're distraught, shocked, dismayed over this this news, and we thank you very much for for joining us tonight. I wonder, uh, there's a great deal of speculation, obviously, uh, when a 35-year-old man who is in competitive condition passes away. Can you please tell us to end whatever speculation there may be? Can you, what can you tell us about what you have been told uh, as far as Brian's death is concerned? Um, well, um, apparently there was a uh, problem with his heart and uh, apparently his heart was put under a lot of stress for some reason and um, I can't really uh, you know, tell you for sure what that reason was, but it was apparent heart attack in his sleep, and until uh, um, the tests all were back, uh, it, it's kind of inconclusive right now, but um, um, apparently um, his, his heart was under a lot of stress. It was, there was um, some speculation last night when we spoke. Uh, uh, Brian, because of his injuries, has had to take a great deal of prescribed medicine. There was some speculation that they may have taken too much if, in fact, that is proven to be the case, which it is yet to be. Is there anything that you would want to say to aspiring athletes who do get hurt and have to resort to prescribed medication, painkillers? Well, Vince, I, you know, I can't comment on whether that, you know, I know that my husband well, not only was he an athlete, but he was involved in a car accident, too, and he had extensive injuries from that. And, yes. Um, and, uh, and then went, after the accident, it was a lot harder for him. But um, I think all athletes, to a degree, um, experience a reliance on pain medicine. And, um, you know, I knew it was just a matter of time before um, it happened to someone. And um, fortunately, it, it was my husband. And um, I just want everyone to know that... Um, I hate it's a wake-up call to some, some of you because um, it could be your husband next or it could be you and, you know, you don't want to leave behind a bunch of orphans and like Ma my husband did. Melanie, how, uh, how are the children taking um, this news and, and do they understand? Well, um, a four-year-old doesn't understand it. That's little Brian. Um, he doesn't understand why daddy's not coming home. But um, Brittany understands because uh, she's my adopted child and she's, she's the um, biological child of my husband and another woman and that woman killed herself two years ago. So Brittany's uh, lost her mom and, and her dad biological. And uh, you know, she just screamed for about 15 minutes. And um, I don't know Vince, it's hard. Have you it's had? It's really hard. But have, you, I'm doing, have you had any opportunity to think about 
what you now as a single parent will do to support your five children. Vince, I don't even uh, really know what day it is, you know, so uh, I don't um, know what I'm going to do. Um, but I know that the outpouring of support that I've gotten from the fans and from the company um, is helping me go on. I mean, just everyone's calling and everyone's the fans and on the internet and um, people are just supporting me all around. And, and uh, But um, as far as what I'll do after this is over, I don't know. I don't even know, Vince. I don't know. Is, um, how, how would you like for Brian to be remembered by WWF fans and fans all over the world? Vince, I would like Brian to be remembered as just one of the most compassionate and loving men ever and uh, the greatest father in the world, the best father in the world. And um, he also loved his business, Vince, and um, I guess you could say he lived for this business and he died for this business. And I hope no one else has to die. Melanie, we thank you very much for joining us tonight. And yes, thanks. on behalf of the WWF and its fans and its superstars, you have our heartfelt condolences. Thank you again. Thank you, Vince. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a video tribute we would like to present. Brian Pillman was a very special person. Tribute to the troops. There is not one tribute to the troops that you could say stands out as everyone was as equally as important as the last. Maybe the first, you could say, because it was the inaugural show dedicated to our troops. For the WWE to go overseas to Afghanistan and Iraq in the middle of a war and put a show on for the troops was truly classy. When we're at home enjoying the holiday, the troops are out there protecting our freedom. The WWE could have simply thanked them, but chose to show their gratitude with what they do best, entertain. As great of an act as this is by the WWE, hopefully they won't have to return for many years to come, as this will hopefully wrap up for our troops. And I know over the past couple of years they've decided to be on home bases in the United States rather than traveling to Afghanistan and Iraq, but still they are entertaining the troops that are protecting our country. The Eddie Guerrero Tribute Show. <sighs> Who could forget that night? It was a sad weekend, as Raw approached with the news that Eddie Guerrero had died. The show opened with the entire roster standing as one next to a lowrider car in remembrance of Eddie. They were honoring their fallen friend who had overcome his demons to win the WWE Championship just two years prior. The sadness continued for weeks, and the WWE tried to get back to business. Even in death, Eddie was truly a star. And it, to this day, I guarantee... He is thought about in that locker room on a daily basis. I guess we can say we can, we can live through Vicky in the spirit of Eddie Guerrero. Eddie was an amazing guy. From a professional standpoint, I will always remember Eddie as being um, one of the best. Technically in the ring, was incredible, um, but could do anything. I mean, Eddie could make you laugh one minute, could make you cry the next, could make you mad at him, could make you 
just run through any emotion he wanted to with the with the twinkle in his eye or a, a smirk on his face or uh, you know just the little things he was just a phenomenal talent in every way personally um, Eddie to me will always be remembered as um, an inspiration I don't know if everybody knows it, but it's pretty common knowledge that Eddie had a, a lot of demons in his life, and he had a lot of issues, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of searching, I think, in his life. Um, Eddie overcame all of that uh, to be what he was, or what he is. Um, he overcame that, uh, overcame his demons, he overcame the problems he had in his personal life. Um, he's got two beautiful girls, beautiful wife, and um, you know, Eddie had succeeded in life where so many others would have failed. Just uh, <clears throat> want Eddie's wife and kids to know how much they meant to him it's all he ever talked about I know that uh, <clears throat> somewhere Eddie's going to be looking down on this night proud that all the guys went out there and put on a show for him it's what he would have wanted Eddie was a performer and Eddie was one of the most talented guys I know and it's what he would have wanted he would have wanted the show that has been in his family his entire life to go on, you know, and Eddie's up there somewhere, and he's lying to somebody, he's cheating somebody, and, he, and he's stolen all of our hearts. I miss you, man. The Nature Boy Ric Flair's farewell speech. There are a select few wrestlers who have had the prestige that Ric Flair carries with them. He is, for many, the greatest of all time. After wrestling nearly every big name in the wrestling business all over the planet, all over, his farewell was filled with the return of legends from his past and the current roster all coming to pay their respect for what he gave to the business. That song, Leave the Memories Alone, was so classic. Seeing the return of the Horsemen, I was, I was able, I had the opportunity to be there live in person that whole weekend the in Orlando, the in, from the induction to Ric Flair into the Hall of Fame, to him facing Shawn Michaels with the career-ending match, and then to the celebration the next night on Raw for his career. What an emotional night. I remember still thinking about it, crying on the airplane back. What a mark am I, huh? But it was an emotional time and an emotional moment on Monday Night Raw. Last night, I wrestled my very last match at WrestleMania. I will never ever wrestle in this ring again. Please, please. I, I, I'm not sad about not wrestling. You shouldn't be sad about the fact that you're not going to see me out here. You should rejoice in the fact that I have had the greatest wrestling career in the history 
of pro wrestling. And last night, even though I lost, I lost to a great, great, great wrestler and a better man. Truth. Rejoice in the fact that I have wrestled in front of more fans, raised more hell, had more fun, and loved all of you every day of my life. I've been teared up all day long with the thought of not being able to come out here anymore, but I'm off. I'm off. And I'm in a good place. And I love you. I want to thank you for the memories. Thank you for the support. And most of all, thank you all for making me who I am today. People here in Orlando are the only ones that want to say thank you. If you think that the millions of people watching on TV are the only ones that want to say thank you, Well then, my friend, you've got another thing coming. Because I just, I had to come out here and I had to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. I love you, man. And thank you. Thank you. Now, that takes care of me, but there are a few other people that that wanted to say a thank you too and this one group of guys I, I started talking to earlier today, and it's the craziest thing, because ever since I talked to them, my hand's been cramping up like this. <laughs> Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, the four horsemen.
And then a couple years later, we saw the farewell speech of the man that retired the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. He lost the night before at WrestleMania 26 and, per the stipulation of the match, had to retire. Michaels said he didn't really know what he was going to say, but thanked several key people along the way. He thanked his best friend Triple H for never leaving his side when times were tough, which Michaels admitted he had plenty of. He would go on to thank, thank Vince McMahon and Bret Hart for dealing with him during these low moments in his career. Michaels will be remembered as one of the greatest wrestlers of the WWE in its entire history, despite his earlier earlier years, you could say, when he was disliked by the roster. You know, when I was 19 years old, I started doing this stuff, and uh, at 23, I started coming in to each and every one of your homes every week. And the idea of now being 44 and, I don't know, not, uh, not coming into your homes on that TV set every week is going to be a little tough to get used to. Um, I got to thank Hunter for being my friend when absolutely nobody else in the world wanted to touch me. Um, there are a lot of people that didn't like me many, many years ago. Um, I was not an easy person to be around. And, and Hunter, buddy, you never once left my side. And You know, in this line of work, I mean, it's, it's a tough line of work, and everybody talks about how it's tough to have real friendships, and it is. But I tell you, Hunter, I thank you so much for the real friendship that I have been able to share with you for the last 16 years. And there's one other guy I got to thank, and I got to thank Bret Hart. I cannot tell you how much, back in the 90s, I drove that poor guy crazy. And everything he's ever said about me, you know, he had every right to say it. And I want to thank him for forgiving me, for understanding, accepting, and believing that I knew that I made the mistakes I was changed, and I would forever honor his friendship if he'd ever take the chance and give it back to me. And I thank him for giving me that opportunity. I thank you all so much for giving me the honor and the privilege to come out here and let me show off in front of you every night of my life. This is how we started. And this is how we're going to end. Ladies and gentlemen, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, has left the building. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart bury the hatchet on Monday Night Raw. 
the Montreal Screwjob will forever be remembered as one of the most controversial moments in wrestling history. Bret Hart was double-crossed after all the years he put into the wrestling business by his boss, Mr. McMahon, or should we say Vince McMahon at the time, and enemy Shawn Michaels. It would be 13 years until Hart would be in a WWE ring again. He called out Michaels, and the two hugged out their differences, seemingly ending the years of hatred. As Hart forgave Michaels, it was a surreal moment, since some were never sure if Hart would ever return to the WWE. That moment alone, when his music hit and we saw the image of Bret Hart on Raw, who would have ever thought from 1997 that Bret would be back on WWE television? And the moment of the two hugging and embracing and burying the hatchet was one of the greatest moments in Raw history. And then last year, we saw the sudden announcement, the shocking announcement, of the Rated-R Superstar Edge retiring. It seemed like a normal addition of Raw, until Edge stated that he was forced to retire and relinquish his World Heavyweight Championship. We were skeptical, it all seemed like a storyline, but Edge's emotions made one think this was legit. After the announcement... He was welcomed by, by the wrestlers in the back with a standing ovation. It was real. And at 37 years old, his career was done. The audience was shocked, people crying, as one of the most popular entertainers had to hang up the wrestling boots, hang up his tights, far too early. A lot of people think that the, uh, that the WWE doesn't hurt. Um, that what we do, maybe it's done with smoke and mirrors, and, and I wish that were true, uh, but anybody in that locker room, anybody who has ever stepped foot in here, laced up a pair of boots, they know that's not the case. Uh, which brings me to what I'm about to tell you. Eight years ago, I, uh, I broke my neck. Um, I had spinal fusion surgery, which means they, they move your throat over, they put a plate in there and screws, and it's, it's really in-depth surgery. But because of that surgery, I knew that I was, uh, I was wrestling on borrowed time from that point on. Uh, so fast forward, and uh, the, the last, last little while, I've been in uh, a lot of pain. I, uh, I've been losing feeling in my arms. Um, so... I, I, I passed uh, strength tests and all of those things, and I, I made it through WrestleMania. But uh, the WWE wanted me to go get more tests, and thankfully I did, um, because the MRI showed that uh, that I have to retire. I, just, I mean, trust me, it's not my choice. The, the doctors have told me that that I got no choice. Uh, and thankfully they found out because I'm not gonna end up in a wheelchair now. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, you know, no, thank you guys. I, Well, I, I tell you, this has been an emotional roller coaster of a week for me, and I'm not going to lie, I felt sorry for myself. I, uh, until I talked to, uh, to Christian, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Christian has been my best friend for 27 years. Uh, and you see, I, I was angry. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my body because I felt like uh, there's a lot of people in this company that depend on me, and I felt like I was letting them down. Uh, I felt like I was letting you guys down. Uh, but then, you know, I was upset too because I didn't feel like I was ending this on my terms. But he reminded me that, that I've, I've competed my whole career on my terms. I, uh, you know, I'm still like all of you. I am a huge fan of the WWE. Every month, Christian and I would go to Maple Leaf Gardens and we would watch all of our favorites. We would watch uh, the Legion of Doom. We'd watch Demolition. We'd watch, we'd watch Hulk Hogan. We'd watch all of them and, and just be enthralled. And then I went to WrestleMania 6 and I watched Hulk Hogan against the Ultimate Warrior and I said, I'm doing this one day. And you know what? Fast forward a whole bunch of years and I'm main eventing WrestleMania against The Undertaker. There's no way I ever would have dreamed of that. There's no way if you told me when I was 11 years old that I would win more championships than anyone in the history of this company, no way I would have believed you. And if you had told me that my last match would be at WrestleMania in one of the main events defending the World Heavyweight Championship and that I'd be retiring as the World Heavyweight Champion, man, I couldn't dream of a better way to go out. I really couldn't. You know, I, uh, I started in the WWE when I was 23. I mean, I've been doing this for 19 years 14 of them with the WWE. My first match was May 10th, 1996 in Hamilton's Cops Coliseum. And uh, I was 23 years old, and I, I feel like I've grown up in front of all of you. I feel like uh, I've made a whole lot of mistakes in front of you. I've learned from them, and I've become a man in front of you. I've gone from being the, the silent guy running around the streets of New York with a trench coat that was way too small for him to uh, a pseudo-vampire in the brood. To one of the funny, goofy guys along with Christian posing for those with the benefit of those with flash photography. 
I became one of the most despised guys in the history of the WWE. As a matter of fact, I got thrown in the Long Island Sound. I had a, a live sex celebration, thankfully with Lita and not Vicky Guerrero. And I would hope that through it all, I've earned the respect of everyone in that locker room. And I hope that I've earned all of your respect. Because no matter what, no matter what, I came out here and I tried to give you guys as much as I had every single night. And in turn, you guys gave it right back to me. So, I'm going to miss all of this. All of it. I'm going to miss that reaction when I hear my music and I come out on the ramp. It's like a shot of adrenaline straight to the heart from you guys, and, and it's amazing. I, I can't describe it. But that being said, I don't have to wear tights tomorrow, and I am going to go eat a whole lot of ice cream tonight. But if you ask me if I would do all of this again, all the way back from getting hired by JR, if you ask me if I'd travel all the roads, log all the miles, hop on all the flights, all the sleepless nights, all the surgeries, all of the injuries, the metal rods in my teeth, all of it. If you ask me if I'd do it again, in a heartbeat. This week marks the debut of a brand new segment here at Beyond the Bell, where we will dive into my own personal experiences being a ring announcer on the independent circuit. I've had the opportunity to introduce, announce some of the greatest, biggest, and most loved stars in professional wrestling history, superstars that I've watched sitting on my couch as a young wrestling fan, stars that I idolized. So I want to bring that experience to you fans. I know Colt Cabana has many stories on his podcast that people love to hear. So I want to bring more of a personal element to the Beyond the Bell podcast and just not talk about nostalgic wrestling. Sure, we all love our retro wrestling. But I also want to give a certain side of the host of Beyond the Bell, Sean Beckerman. So each week, we'll go into the experiences I had announcing some of the greatest stars in professional wrestling, and we'll play the actual audio clip of me announcing those stars. I think it will be a really interesting and fun backstage look at the stars we all loved, and a look inside a ring announcer from a ring announcer's perspective of him calling those famous stars. So the inaugural edition will look back at one of the first superstars I had the ability or opportunity to announce. It was in New Jersey, of course. I had the opportunity to announce the Dream Team, the reunited Dream Team. Around this time, Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine were teaming up once again on the independent circuit. They were running multiple shows. They had 
uh, a pretty busy tour at that time to where they were teaming up once again and they featured the return of the Dream Team. As we all know, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine around the WrestleMania 3 era were known as the Dream Team before they split up. And of course, Brutus Beefcake became the Barber. Cheap plug for Barbershop Window. Cheap plug, cheap plug. So the debut segment will be now entitled Behind the Mic here at Beyond the Bell. So the Behind the Mic segment, the debut edition, will look back at host ring announcer Sean Beckerman announcing the Dream Team, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. I was nervous for weeks, for many, many weeks. I was nervous for many, many weeks for this gig that I had to where this was my first opportunity to really announce a a big star. Yes, looking back, Brutus Beefcake may not have been one of the most technical wrestlers, but I remember being a fan of Brutus Beefcake. You could see me on the SummerSlam edition. I suggest you, I suggest you fans to look back at the remember the the tag team confrontation between Zeus and Macho Man Randy Savage against Brutus Beefcake and Hulk Hogan from SummerSlam, where you could see me dressed up as the barber. So I was nervous for this event to come because this is my first big event able with me being able to announce big stars. I really made it. So when I went to the locker room, I saw Greg Valentine there and Brutus Beefcake. So Brutus, they were kind of standoffish. They were doing their own little thing. And I just noticed <laughs> the hammer looked a little hammered. I think he was a little inebriated uh, backstage. He didn't seem uh, too with it, you could say. And Brutus Beefcake was doing his own thing. and They, they were just hanging out. And uh, I was going to do a backstage promo before the event, kind of promoting their match. So I remember being so nervous to interview them where when we were setting up on the set to do the interview, I realized I was standing so far away from them that I was kind of out of camera view. I was out of the shot. So they had to pull me back in, get a little bit closer to them to interview uh, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine to where they had to read me back in. I remember I remember that I was talking so fast because I was so nervous. We had to do another take so I can calm down. It was a short, quick promo, but I remember just being so nervous. And then I, right after I had the opportunity to talk to Beefcake, and I said, you know, I dressed up like you when I was a little kid with the scissors. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, what a, what a time that was. And looking back, he's probably saying, man, I'm old. I have this, this ring announcer, this kid telling me when he was a kid watching me on TV. It must have made him feel uh, pretty old. But around this time, he was also doing the uh, Celebrity Championship Wrestling for Hulk Hogan. So he was busy doing that. So Brutus Beefcake was getting back in the limelight, and I think they had the did you, or where they where are they now facts on WWE.com, where they did a special on Brutus Beefcake at that point. But announcing the two of them was a highlight, one of the highlights of my career, because it was the very first time I had the opportunity to announce big-time stars. I mean, we're talking WrestleMania competitors, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine. So we'll cap off this segment with the audio clip of me announcing a tag team confrontation that included the dream team, the reunited dream team of Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine.
this crowd is loving Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine. Remember, you can see all of the videos of these audio clips on my official YouTube site labeled Ring Announcing, as well as the official website for host and ring announcer Sean Beckerman at ringannouncing.com, where all of the audio and video clips of myself inside the squared circle announcing the stars can be seen under the YouTube section. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling fans, it's time to thank our sponsors of the Beyond the Bell podcast. Barbershop Window, the brand new official sponsor of Beyond the Bell. They love wrestling and they love t-shirts, so they combine the two in order to fulfill their goal to create shirts that wrestling fans enjoy and will want to own and wouldn't be embarrassed to wear to a bar. New shirts are released every week, and all past shirts can be found in the overstock bin. So go to barbershopwindow.com, where they make wearing wrestling shirts cool again. Squared Circle Media. Jerome Willen provides audio and written content based on the latest in professional wrestling. Associated with Wrestling.com, Ringside Digest, and the Camel Clutch blog, Squared Circle Media is for the true wrestling fan. You can reach them at squaredcirclemedia.net. Ringannouncing.com, the official website for the future of ring announcing and beyond the bell host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. This is the place where you'll find all the latest news and multimedia related to host, broadcaster, and podcaster, Sean Beckerman. So go to ringannouncing.com now and follow the future of ring announcing. Stitcher Radio is an on-demand internet radio service that focuses on news and information radio and podcasts. It's available on all smartphones via the iTunes App Store and the Android Market. Stitcher, now streaming innovative audio. GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web. From domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. With more than 10.4 million customers and over 53 million domain names, GoDaddy is the leader in web development. SNSRadioNetwork.com is the home for all things related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Catch the latest news on all three topics, as well as the trademark shows, including the Benchmark Show, Wrestling News Live, Sunday Night Showdown, Unplugged with JJ Sexay and Charles Shane, The Pro Wrestling Rewind, The Elite Force Podcast, Why, and of course, Beyond the Bell with host Sean Beckerman. SNSRadioNetwork.com is the place to go for all things related to wrestling, video gaming, and mixed martial arts. If you're not listening, you're not trying. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Beyond the Bell, email us at btbwrestling at gmail.com with the header advertising. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution. It's go time! What can you say? 1,000 episodes of Monday Night Raw. Sure, there are plenty of other moments, tons of other moments that we ain't discuss, but with our time restraints, and we can do other themes. I am sure we'll have other themes at Beyond the Bell that will look back at specific moments of Raw, funniest moments, most dramatic, 
shocking. I'm sure there's plenty of themes we can create from 1,000 editions of Monday Night Raw. So these were just a small, a snippet, a small, a small part of the history of Monday Night Raw. The moments that we remember, these are personally one of the greatest moments in my mind in Monday Night Raw history. This two-part series showed us the funniest, the funnier side of Raw, the, mo- the dramatic side, the shocking, surprising side. It, what, this is what makes Raw one of the greatest shows, not just professional wrestling, shows of all time. Yes, there have been some poor shows, but no one can deny that it takes a lot of clout and a lot of stability in an organization to keep a show on for as long as Raw has been. Yes, you could say wrestling's different than a sitcom or a certain television show or a genre, but Raw, you cannot deny, will stand, will hold its place in television history. 1,000 episodes. And they're on their way for another another 1,000. With the WWE Network coming about, What? No, who knows what the future will hold for Monday Night Raw. It could be on the WWE Network. Who, Monday Night Raw is a staple in professional wrestling. Raw, wrestling, go together hand in hand. If you're a big time, if you're a wrestler on the independent scene, and you want to be a part of the big time, you must make it to Raw. That's what everybody knows. TNA, Impact Wrestling, is a great organization, 10 years old. But Raw is going on 20 years old. 1,000 episodes. I was there at The World a.k.a. WWF New York, for the 15th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. When Eric Bischoff was there, they gave away those awards, the Ruckus Awards, I think they called them. Another moment in Raw history. And I thought, wow, 15 years of Monday Night Raw, what? What a moment, what an accomplishment. And I think now we're looking 20 years, 1,000 episodes in. Raw is wrestling. Fans, that will wrap things up for another edition of the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Show Beyond the Bell. Remember to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Sean Beckerman. Listen to us archived at ringannouncing.com, snsradionetwork.com, Stitcher Radio for all smartphones. Basically, if you're not listening, you're not trying to be on the bell. We'll wrap things up with our old school theme of the week. Of course, we're talking about Monday Night Raw. So, of course, it's a Monday Night Raw theme song. One of the more underrated songs, you can say, is Across the Nation by Union Underground, which was in the mid-2000s, the early stages, I think around the 2006 mark, when Raw was creating an identity outside of the boom period of the Attitude Era, outside of the inaugural brand extension, when Raw was finding its own identity now in this transitional era but great theme song keeps your head bobbing and we'll wrap things up with across the nation as we rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling what an episode the debut of behind the mic we look back at the second part of our greatest moments in raw history only better and bigger things to come here at beyond the bell so stay tuned for future programming fans, WCW 101, WCCW Milestones, not to mention the Hulkamania Chronicles wrapping up fans, which I'm excited to talk about, the return to the WWE for Hulk Hogan. And the From the Booth series concludes with the color commentators portion as you look back at the greatest color analysts 
in professional wrestling history. Not to mention our specialty series of the greatest families in wrestling and so much more to come here at Beyond the Bell. I'm Sean Beckerman signing off. And fans, I'll see you at the matches.